Uh, it's good to be together uh, this evening as the family of God. I am. Uh, uh, we started our uh, Thanksgiving celebrations early, and so we did some of that this uh, this afternoon. I triggered my first turkey uh, today, which um, it was pretty good for a turkey. So um, it, you know, it moved it into the category of good, but it's still turkey. You know, so um, I'm like a little tired, actually, and I wonder if that's from eating the turkey, and so trust that God's going to move this along and um, give, give, uh, give energy as, as he leads. So um, if you're new with us or you've been out of pocket for a week or two, we are continuing through the book of Acts. Um, if you've missed any of those sermons or want to um, encourage some of your friends to listen to them, um, you can find that on Spotify. You know, go there, search Redemption Church of Greeley, look for our logo, and you can find um, any of uh, the sermons to date that, uh, that we've been in the book of Acts, as, as well as a couple other sermons. Um, the, the roadmap for this week is we're finishing uh, Acts chapter 5. And then next week, we are going to dive into Acts chapter 6, and then uh, what do you know? It's December, and we're going to take a pause uh, from Acts, and we're going to get into um, a series in Advent, which I'm really excited about as we um, celebrate and we anticipate um, the reality that Jesus came, put on flesh, and dwelt among us as we consider Christmas and all that that entails. And so I'm excited about that. I trust that God will use it uh, and do great things uh, in the life of this body. So um, that is the roadmap for the next couple weeks. So this evening, as I said, we're in Acts chapter 5, starting in picking back up in verse 17. If you've got your Bibles, um, go ahead and uh, get there. Um, I've entitled the sermon this evening, Joining the Undertaking of God. And as we will read in these verses, it is God's undertaking that stands in stark contrast to man's undertaking. So I want to ask the question this evening, what is the undertaking of God? And then I want to spend some time considering what does joining that undertaking mean for you and I? Pretty simple roadmap. It's a monumental text, um, and so we are going to fly over it at about 30,000 feet and grab hold of some things that I feel like God has been stirring in my own mind and my own heart this week. So um, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Follow along as I read. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked 
and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. If you remember, we've entitled our sermon series in the book of Acts, Your Kingdom Come. We have seen and given evidence to God's kingdom coming forth in the previous chapters, and we're going to continue to see that theme run its way through the pages of Acts. This evening, text continues to help ground us by drawing our attention to some unique truths about the kingdom that God is building. What does it mean to join the undertaking of God? I would propose 
that it means that we participate in what God is doing. And so before we dig into the ramifications of that statement, what God is doing, I want to take a few moments and by way of reminder, point us towards what God is undertaking, what God is up to, what task is God about. Specifically, verse 30 and 31, I want to draw our attention back to that text. The Apostle's word says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. See, God put forth Jesus, his son, to be hung on a tree. He raised him from the dead and exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior for the purpose of giving repentance and forgiveness. That's what the text says. And we know that John chapter 1, verse 14, right, says that, and the word Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. That this Jesus was fully man and fully God, where Colossians 1, 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That Jesus was without sin. Hebrews 4, 14, right? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, who faithfully walked towards the cross to bear our sin, your and my disobedience against God, where God canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he nailed to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. And we know, as we gave testimony to in this song, that the grave could not hold him. We've seen that reality. Even in the book of Acts, it's been given witness to. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by them. And as a result, God is calling individuals towards repentance and faith to turn away from your sin, your efforts to make right what you messed up, to trust in the completed, finished work of Christ to find rest for the weary. God promises to deliver you from the domain of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 2 verse 13. Granting repentance and forgiveness. That is what God is doing in the face of Jesus Christ. All for the good of his blood-bought people and the fame of his name. It has been the plan, as Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says, is the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. 
in him. And quite frankly, I think it's good in the midst of swirling life circumstances, which feels chaotic and burdensome, to be reminded of what God is really up to. God's eternal task set forth in his son, Jesus, to bring about repentance and forgiveness by his shed blood, resulting for all those who would repent and believe to be adopted into his forever family. That's what God is undertaking. So, what does it look like to join in that undertaking? Specifically, like what does the text uh, look like? What does the text tell us that looks like in these particular verses? A couple observations uh, to make here. What does joining look like? Verse 31. It tells us that joining means that we are agreeing to the reality of Jesus' two things. First, he's the Savior. We just talked about that. The gospel is inclusive in that it is for all, but exclusive in that it is the only way. If you want to join in the undertaking of God, God's word says that there is no other way. Open to all, but through the only door, through the only gate which is through faith in Jesus Christ's life, death, and his glorious resurrection. We live in a a world of growing tolerance and acceptance to the idea that there are many ways to get to God. Many different ways, quite frankly, to join with him. Many different kinds of acts of mercy or kindness, but acts of charity or benevolence not rooted in the already yet joined relationship, which one way to God, which is Jesus, is not participating in the undertaking that God is about. So the first way that we are to join with God is through affirming the reality that Jesus is our Savior. The second way that we join, come alongside and participate in the undertaking of God is to affirm that Jesus is leader. Verse 31. The word leader, I think the NASB uh, translates the word prince, communicates shared authority that God gives to Christ. And in so doing, expresses a unique characteristic that Jesus himself has in relation to us, the joiners. More articulate pastors, students of God's word, I think have communicated this way, that Jesus is not only the Savior of a life, he's also the Lord of it. That we've not only been saved from hell, but saved to new life. 
I believe that this kind of distinction is in mind here in Acts chapter 5. It is the conviction that the followers of Jesus have about Jesus that have them pronounce the profound truth in verse 29. When asked why they continue to proclaim these things in spite of being warned and even tossed in prison, what's their reply? We must obey God rather than men. See, obedience is the correct response to Christ's identity as our leader. Obedience is one's affirmation to the reality that they have joined with the undertaking of God. It's not their earned entry, but it is the natural outcome of all who believe that Jesus is the Christ and have been joined with God. The obedience shown in in these verses is adherence to the task that God, even in the midst of hostility and oppression, is undertaking. Specifically in this text, it's gospel proclamation, right? Sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel, living the gospel outward that results in the apostles being arrested. That's what they're doing. The pattern that continues to emerge in the book of Acts is that the followers of Jesus boldly call people towards repentance and faith in Jesus, being the Christ, and either the Spirit of God, it goes forth and it saves many, or they're met with hostility and opposition, requiring God to intercede on the behalf of the faithful to empower them and sustain them in the midst of hostility. That is the pattern that we see and will see in the book of Acts. And I think it would be fair at this point, five chapters in, to draw one of three conclusions from the pattern that we've seen. The first is that we are either being faithful to share the gospel with individuals and God is graciously opening doors. That's the first option. We are walking in faith, in obedience to what God has called us to do. We are proclaiming the gospel and sharing the gospel with people in our lives. And God in his kindness and his providence is opening the door and removing opposition. The spirit of God is going forth and the spirit of God draws people. That's option one. Option two, we're being faithful to share the gospel and we're being met with opposition and maybe overt hostility. Option three, we aren't being faithful. Consider that with me for a moment. Those seem like the only three reasonable options that we see here in the book of Acts thus far. 
personalize that for a moment as you self-assess where are you at this evening. I know for myself, I find myself, as I look honestly in the mirror, I'm often unfaithful to participate in the tasks that God through Jesus is doing. Okay, why is that? Like peel, peel back the onion, right? Like what, what causes unfaithfulness in my life in this particular area? There's probably lots of reasons. For the sake of time, I want to have us consider two of them tonight. The first one, which you could probably all share, maybe not relate to, but already are, you probably already know, is that as a person, I can be far more concerned about man's opinion than I am about God's. Like that's straight into the point. We are far more, at times, far more concerned about what your neighbor may or may not think of you if you press in just a little too hard. Concerned about the relational fallout surrounding stepping out in faith. Maybe even concerned about like legitimate hostility or backlash. I work with these people. I'm prone to seek the praise of others, forgetting that in Christ we are fully accepted. Right? The phrase that we've articulated often is that we are fully known and yet fully loved in Christ. That our unfaithfulness, that if our unfaithfulness is motivated by this, it communicates disbelief in God's acceptance of being enough, and it strives to find it in other places. We talked about this at length last week. My prayer is that we would battle that temptation with the faith and the exercising of faith that in Jesus is rest from striving to find acceptance and esteem from others because you already have all that is necessary in Christ. Number two, why can I be unfaithful to participate in God's undertaking? I believe Maybe you believe also that there is greater joy in greater pursuits. When you look at the world around us, the ways that we are pursuing things, most of which I believe can be drawn back to wanting joy or wanting worth. That striving for joy and worth is best found in the greatest source of joy, which is Jesus, and the greatest source of worth, which is being clothed in the perfect esteem of Christ. But we live in a world where we want to trade that and we want to look for greater joy, greater pursuits, greater satisfaction, that we strive and we stretch to discover joy and worth, and we can do that in our jobs. You can do that with your kids. You can do that in the context of relationships. 
Maybe it's the relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's the pursuit of a spouse. Maybe it's in um, your hobbies, your vacations. And like one of the number one things on my list is like buying new things. I love getting new things. I wonder where my kids get it from. And then I just have to think like, yeah, that's the apple in the tree. Like, I love getting new things because I think that it's going to bring me joy. Today's hot topic in our culture is finding joy in your own self-worth, is it not? The freedom to redefine terms to fit your needs for self-help. Find joy and worth on your own terms and have it your way. There's obvious areas of sin where our self-indulgence to find joy and worth have a hard and fast break from what Scripture would describe as the new life in Christ. But what about the more acceptable pursuits? Right? What, what about the things that are more tolerable within church culture? Men, when does providing for your family ultimately usurp you joining the undertaking of God? What about a full schedule, a list of daily tasks or projects? Do those things consume your daily pursuits? Have you fallen prey to believing that your ultimate joy and your ultimate worth is founded in those things? I know for me that I can too easily trade the joy and worth that I already have for fleeting, shallower things. And I get caught up chasing those things. And sometimes they aren't even in and of themselves bad things to chase. That's the tension often. They're not directly bad. But as Emily and I continue to assess our schedules, what we do, who we spend time with, where we spend even the small amount of our discretionary time that we do have, like, where does that go? Like, we want to grow. And asking the question, are we spending our time doing the things that God is doing? Are we doing things that align, that join with what God is up to? Are you joining with him in his undertaking that he has from eternity past set forth as the plan? Right? To make his name known through the face of Jesus Christ. I so desperately want to push in that direction. Like as the Lord leads, 
like dependent on him to empower and to show up, but I want to lean in there. Which leads us to the final point or thought for this evening from this text that I feel like God has been stirring in my own heart. It's like, how, how, do, we, how do we grow in that? If, if we desire it, like how do, we, how do we grow in that together, individually and together as a church? And I, and I think part of the answer for that is meditating on the deep truth that it's God's undertaking. That means that, that this, this monumental task, the, the greatest plan, the greatest pursuit is shouldered by the greatest being. Like, consider that with me for a moment. That the greatest plan, the greatest pursuit is shouldered by the greatest being. Like what hope, what freedom, what worth, what joy. Just, just like in Acts and so many other passages that we've seen. Like God through the Spirit is championing the cause of our God. Like He is going before removing opposition, sustaining saints in the midst of opposition, giving God all the glory for the work that He is doing, like inviting us along to participate, not to change hearts, not to open the eyes of the blind, but to faithfully walk in obedience, see what He does. Sharing with people, the hope of the gospel of what God has done in you. What's God doing in you right now? Seeking out spiritually open people. We talk about that a lot at this church. Being available to individuals as the Lord leads. Faithfulness rooted in the reality that we are fully accepted and we are fully loved. And our greatest joy and our greatest worth is somehow connected to his greatest undertaking. My prayer 